0: You're listening to Food for Thought, the OFM podcast, brought to you by Vespa, Nature's Catalyst for Optimizing Fat Metabolism.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Food for Thought. Today, it's my pleasure to bring on John Mahoney, and John has a pretty compelling story that we're going to go into about uh, living with cancer, but not only living, and I don't, I don't call him a cancer Survivor. I'm going to call him a cancer thriver because um, when we talk about him and his his journey, we're going to see just how well he's thriving and the kind of numbers he's pulling on the bike. And today, um, the main interviewers are going to be the lovely uh, Naomi Land and Stephanie Holbrook. And both Naomi and Stephanie um, really wanted to do this interview because. Um, Both of them have lost uh, family members to cancer and have been actively involved in cancer research and uh, programs to fund cancer research. So um, let's take it away. Um, John, Naomi, Stephanie, the venue is yours.
2: Thanks, John. Um, John, we would firstly like, well, thank you for um, coming and talking to us today about your story, but also we would like to hear a bit of background about you and and basically, um, why you're here today?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, my name's uh, John Mahoney, and uh, I live in Chicago, Illinois, um, in the USA. Um, I'm 33 years old, um, and I have an astrocytoma, astrocytoma, uh, which is uh, essentially, it's a brain tumor, which uh, can become uh, fairly aggressive if you don't do anything about it. Um, so I guess the, uh, the bigger question is how do you go from being 33 years old and having a brain tumor to ending up, uh, on a podcast, uh, talking about, uh, the OFM diet. And what I would say is that, uh, when I got this brain tumor, I, I went, uh, to see a doctor actually named Dr. Grimm, believe it or not. And he uh, told me that essentially, People that get uh, primary brain tumors have a, uh, a 2% chance of survival um, or looked at with a, a glass uh, mostly empty, a 98 chance, uh, 98% chance that you won't survive. Um, so what uh, that started to trigger for me was uh, a, a real goal to, uh, to, to look at not just the standard of care but to look at things that could be done to improve my odds, uh, that, that would not hurt me, uh, but would produce, uh, you know, some type of improvement over that 2% chance of survival. Um, so the, kind of, you know, through the, the, an awake, uh, craniotomy at Johns Hopkins, uh, followed on by, um, know, yeah, radiation uh, with uh, temozolomide, which is a, a form of uh, chemotherapy that they use on uh, brain tumor patients, because the uh, particle size is able to breach the blood-brain barrier. And then um, after I went through the uh, radiation with chemo, I, I went through uh, you know six months of kind of follow-on uh, temozolomide chemo, and it was during that uh, follow on chemo after the radiation that I found, uh, some German research that indicated that, uh, the ketogenic diet could have, uh, two uh, positive effects on people that have brain cancer. So one of the positive effects is that, uh, you know, if you have a brain tumor, people typically become seizure prone. Uh, so managing seizures is very, very important. Um, and then the second thing uh, that the ketogenic uh, diet is thought to do is to put metabolic pressure on the tumor by reducing the amount of glucose that's available um, to the body so I found that uh, during the, the the second round of, of chemo during that uh, you know chemo only round following radiation
3: How long ago so, were you diagnosed like what's the that you found out about cancer until, till now, how long was that?
0: Um, okay. So that's a great question. Um, so I found out that I had uh, something wrong with me, uh, because I had a seizure uh, in the office at the end of a long work day. And, uh, so I went to the, uh, I don't really remember having the seizure. I remember waking up in the hospital and, uh, and, and that was in uh, March of 2012. Um, so
2: So that wasn't that far ago, really?
0: No, um, but what's interesting is a number of years uh before uh being having the seizure in the office, I actually had uh, mononucleosis. And they uh didn't realize that I had mononucleosis. Um, but they what they um so they ran a whole battery of medical tests on me, and ended up doing a brain scan and realizing, and not realizing that there was actually a, a tumor there. Oh, and they so saw actually,
3: it on the. So you have a scan of when you were previously that the tumor was actually there.
0: Yeah. So the tumor didn't just develop. You know, uh, you know, three, three and a half, four years ago. It 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 actually developed uh, long before that. So. At the time when I ended up having that seizure, um, the the tumor was uh, pretty sizable, Um, but one of the most concerning uh, characteristics of it was uh, that it had tentacles coming off of it, um, and it was infiltrating from my lower left uh, parietal lobe of the brain uh, into my my lower left, like into the occipital lobe, basically. So it was... um, you know, it was, it made that transformation from being, you know, a, kind of a, a spherical type of tumor, which is generally not as aggressive, um, to, to being, uh, you know, a significantly more aggressive style tumor.
2: Um, so John, what was your diet like prior to your diagnosis and how did you change, like, did you change your diet or, um, who advised you to, to, to go down that road?
0: Sure. Um, so my diet was, you know, pretty uh, pretty mediocre to bad. So I did uh, college um, during the evenings while I was working a full-time job as a computer programmer. So it just kind of screamed sedentary. And then, uh, you know, going to college, uh, there was an Arby's outside of uh, DePaul where I went to college about a half block away. So um, that was often, you know, kind of my, you know, snack on break from, you know, college, you know. And then after college, uh, you know, I kind of continued along, you know, maybe better quality food because I had a bit more money um, than Arby's. But, you know, it was largely kind of your American, you know, pizza, carb-based diet. Um, You know, if I got a burger, for instance, you know, it was always a burger with bun, uh, you know, French fries. It was basically... It was it was a diet that, you people I think commonly accept as being okay, maybe not very healthful, um, but it was, a, you know, in retrospect, it was a very very poor diet. Um,
3: how did you feel on a day to day basis? Like, did did you feel like, hey, I feel good, or I feel like groggy, or um, at, how old were you at this time?
0: Well, I mean, I, so I, I finished up with, you know, so probably the, the worst of my diet was, you know, end, ending about at age 22 when I graduated from, you know, college. Um, and then, you know, and, and during that time period, I felt, you know, pretty sluggish. Um, I, I weighed about 215 pounds. Um, and then, you know, as I worked professionally, etc. I... You know the problem with you know questions like how do you feel um, when you're on that kind of diet is you know in retrospect I, I didn't feel very good but when you don't feel very good you just think that's the way that you feel right. so and I think that's one of the one of the toughest things when I talk to people about you know, the, the keto diet for instance you know they're like, oh my god I can't believe that you don't eat sugar. Um, how do you do that? But then, you know, but on, on the flip side, I think, well, like, how can you feel that bad every day? Um, I, like, I, I remember how I used to feel um, when I was on, you know, a very carby diet um, with really unhealthy food, and, and I, I just feel principally different today.
3: Did you, used to, did you play sports? Were you athletic uh, when you were younger, before you were diagnosed?
0: Sure. So I grew up and I, I played ice hockey growing up, um, you know, and I, I, I as you know, I played for about, uh, probably about 12 to 12 to 13 years I, I played. So I started as a pretty young guy. Um, I got injured actually, um, playing ice hockey, uh, kind of a freak accident, uh, which sort of, which ended my ice hockey career. um, and then after that, you know, I, I didn't really do too much sports. Um, so, you know, I had a lot of sports early on in, in life. Then I had a pretty big gap. And right around the time that I actually got that mononucleosis where they did the scan and, and didn't realize that there was a brain tumor in there, I had started to do some cycling um, not really uh, competitively, but just I kind of thought to myself, well, you know, I'm kind of getting older and I, I should have some kind of a hobby. So I, I picked up cycling and then, you know, started to ride with some of the University of Chicago uh, people. And and then, you know, shortly uh, later on that year, I ended up getting mononucleosis and then I got pancreatitis after that twice. And then. And then, a, you know, about a year and a half, two years later, I, 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 you know, a few years later, actually, I ended up, you know, having a seizure and, and getting brain cancer. So from a health perspective, uh, it was uh, clearly it was not a good trend.
2: So how did you like what made you change after you had the chemo and you had the treatment? What made you change your diet
0: Well, to a ketogenic well, diet? sure so I, all the during the treatment i was looking at a lot of different information to to try to to improve the odds and i just yeah. You, you know, so there were there were a lot of different like pharmaceutical types of things that you could do there were supplements that you could do um and then there was the diet and i remember uh you know, just thinking, okay, well, you know, I thought, okay, well, at the beginning, I thought, well, it'll be easy to get these pharmaceuticals. And I couldn't have been more wrong about that. And then, and then I thought, well, you know, perhaps the supplements, you know, would be enough. And, you know, I couldn't have been, you know, I I didn't really feel like that was going to make a big enough impact to, to possibly save my life from a brain tumor. So then I thought, well, okay, the, probably the most radical change I could do, and you know, I, I'll just give it a shot, is give up carbohydrates um, and, and go into ketosis. You know, I thought, well, for, for one, losing uh, weight would probably be good because a lot of uh, toxins in the body are actually held in, in fat cells. So I thought if I could lose weight and, and get rid of fat, Uh, that I'd probably be relieving my body of some of the the undue stress that I put on it in in the years leading up to, you know, getting cancer.
2: So did the um, chronologist give you that diet? So what was their opinion of that diet?
0: So actually, a doctor never gave me the diet per se. Um, So I, you know, I was uh, down at Johns Hopkins at the time and I, I went in and I said, you know, I found this diet called the ketogenic diet and it seems like it may have a metabolic effect on brain tumors. And I really expected to be kind of laughed out of the uh, the room, not the doctors at Johns Hopkins laughed people out of the room, but I just thought that it was going to sound like a little bit of a crazy guy, um, you know, saying that this could make a difference. And, they were really, really supportive. Um, in fact, they were uh, uh, extremely supportive. So they—it turns out that um, from for children uh, that that have uh, problems with seizures, uh, that they do have you know nutritionists that that work with families uh, to put people on the ketosis step, ketogenic diet and, and help the the children uh, get into ketosis. So they helped me connect up with the the uh, neurologist that, that manages that group at, at Hopkins. Oh, and then I worked so nice. with the dietitian.
1: And that's great. Yeah, John Hopkins actually is um, one of the leading universities in bringing back ketogenic diets for uh, grand mal seizures and child, uh, any other kind of childhood seizures. Yeah. When,
3: when my dad had cancer... I asked his oncologist about dietary recommendations because I was already on the same page. Uh, But they, they, the guy was completely, no, it's not going to make any difference and completely blew him off and pretty much told him, you know, get your affairs in order. You're going to die and nothing is going to save you. So um, I'm, I'm very happy to hear that they were supportive of you.
1: Yeah, they probably didn't think it was gonna have much of a significant effect, but they were probably aware of it because of uh the success they're having in the, the um pediatric ward with the seizures there.
0: Yeah, I mean I think what I, they had actually what I think actually really helped me stick on the diet because I did find it to be a real challenge to give up sugar was um, you know, I'm a pretty type A personality guy and the, uh, the, the, the neuro-oncologist, she basically told me, she said, well, you know, we've been really trying to get a study funded to see how people that do the ketogenic diet do as compared to people who, you know, stay on kind of the standard American diet do with, you know, brain tumors. And the issue has been that nobody will fund this type of research because the, the premise, you know, from, you know, the different fund... Funders has been that a it would be very difficult to um, put the necessary controls around that type of a study to to make it like scientifically valid, and then the other part was uh, that she told me was that you know nobody really thinks that people can stay on the ketogenic diet for you know the amount of time that it would take to perhaps make a difference. So I thought about that and I thought, well, why don't I be the I, I'll prove that I can do it, and that was kind of my A-type personality working for my benefit.
3: That's awesome. I yeah. Mean, I, I mean, it's been a few years. What did? The, what was the prognosis that they they gave you? How m- How long did they give you? I know they said you had a two percent survival rate.
1: Is that is that like a three year or a five year window, or what's what's the uh, window they give when they say that ninety eight percent?
0: So with the anaplastic astrocytoma, it's a little bit less certain. Um, but, you know, I, I think that it kind of expected a recurrence, uh, you know, probably about six months ago. Um, so it's, you know, I've made it through uh, two statist- statistically significant uh, kind of goalposts in terms of like recurrence coming back. Um, and one of the things that that uh, I look at my scan you know in, in a few different ways uh, with the doctors, but we look at uh, obviously the the volume effect within the brain so um, you know the pressure within the brain uh, and then we also look at it you know a few other different ways and what we've seen is that uh, with with people that get uh, brain tumors you know they get they get chemo and they get radiation and what ends up happening is whatever tumor was there basically just doesn't do anything is is typically what is seen and in my case what ended up happening was after i started that ketogenic diet during chemo the next scan uh looked Maybe a tiny bit better, um I think it was I was, had been on uh, the ketogenic diet for about a month at that time, and then when I went for my nine month follow up scan after the surgery, there was actually a marked improvement uh, to the scan um, to the point where they didn't actually see um, you know signs that there was an active tumor in there anymore uh, so and and then since then. The, the area which the resection was, you know, that's still, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get a little bit technical here, but I, I'll try to keep it high level. But there's always some uh, signal flare where the, the surgery cavity is. And that signal flare has diminished over the last few years, uh, which is somewhat indicative that the inflammation in my brain has continued to go down. So, if you were to look at my scan today, my, my scan um, certainly doesn't look normal because there's a piece of my brain missing. Um, it also doesn't look normal because it, it, my brain is seeing a lot of radiation. Um, but the, the parts of the scan that really you know light up when you put gadolinium contrast in or some other contrast agent are um, you know, smaller and smaller over time which is uh, really positive.
2: That's incredible. So how do you think that that's affected you, like um, I guess you've stayed on the ketogenic diet, have you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and do yeah. you
2: feel um, amazing now that, as opposed to what you did feel before?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So when I started with that keto diet, I I think it took about a month for my body to, to sort of transition away from, you know, being on carbs all the time and I didn't feel that well. But then ever since I made that switch, um, I've never felt better physically in my life that I can remember.
1: Yeah. Um, John, you know, um, yesterday you had a brain scan, um, and, uh, you know, you don't sound like you're stressed, like it's, it came out bad. Can you say a little bit about that? And then, uh, I want to segue into another question I have. Sure.
0: Um, yeah. So every, uh, three months I, I get a brain scan basically. And, uh, you know, so it's like a full brain scan where they, they look at everything and, and there's always some trepidation kind of leading into these brain scans, but, the, the brain scan that I had yesterday was really, really good. And they actually showed me some interesting information, which was uh, the, they showed me my scan, but they also showed uh, a blood level overlay over my brain scan, which is, is very interesting because areas where there is tumor growth um, or potential tumor growth, you'll see higher volume uh, of blood products in in that, those locations. And what we saw actually was in the areas of my brain that were kind of hazy from the radiation or somewhat empty because of uh, being, you know, having pieces removed. Uh, the blood product um, or the blood volume there was actually as low as it could possibly be, um, which is a very, very good sign that there isn't... Uh, you know, a a tumor growing there that's undetected.
1: Well, so, um, I think the next thing I would like to ask you is I'd like you to tell us about what you do as an analyst and, and, and all that. And it's a high level thing. And then we had a discussion early on when we started communicating about how your brain was, you know, cut out and you had to reform those synapses and you kind of moved from being a left brainer to a right brainer, but still be the analyst you have, um, and and all that
0: yeah so when i got my surgery um i I, you you go in for this huge battery of tests and everyone thought that i'd be a right brain guy because i'm a left-handed individual um so typically people that are left-handed are right brained
1: well that's me (laughs) so
0: so when when we went in and we did like functional mapping and everything of my brain what we ended up seeing was uh that I was left handed and my ability to speak and my ability to understand speech was located right smack in the middle of the the brain tumor bed. Uh, So basically the the brain tumor had grown around uh, the area of my brain which allowed me to to kind of understand um, language and, and be able to communicate with people um, so that was actually one of the reasons why I ended up at Hopkins was that I really wanted to have an awake craniotomy uh, because I felt like it, it would lend a much higher probability that I would make it out of the surgery, you know, still functional, which was very important to me. So what happened was is that, you know, I was awake for the surgery. Um, I, uh, I, I remember... Uh, you know, the whole thing very very clearly and when i was actually in the middle of the surgery i i decided you know kind of it you know a few hours beforehand that what i should do is i should start talking about some of my medical theories as to how the surgery could be performed more efficiently um, <laughs> while they were actually operating on <laughs> which um you know and i thought well you know i have a captive audience here they're probably not going to leave me on the table. <laughs> so, so I, uh, so I kind of went through some of, some of my various ideas. Um, but then, and obviously the, the surgery turned out, um, well, uh, so, you know, I was able to, you know, continue to speak, etc. What was kind of surprising after the uh, surgery though, was I got, ended up with, um, with a very weird uh, issue when it it came to typing and and writing things. So if you think of the, uh, I'm trying to think of good words for this, Um, but there's like words where you can spell them multiple different ways. I might.
3: Or they, they, or. I don't know
0: now I can't, think of it. but yeah, I understand. Yeah. As, as soon as, as soon as, uh, as soon as you try to think of one, you'll forget, but, um, you know, like, like they, or, or, or like they, or, there, or there, there, like, it, there is a perfect example. In there fact, and that there was and there. Yeah. Yes. In fact, there, there, and there was the one that I stumbled onto first. <laughs> so, so I, I remember when I woke up from the surgery, you know, um, you know, because they they put you under when they put your skull back on. So when I woke up in, in the recovery after the surgery, I you know I had you know a message that I wanted to send out to all the people that were kind of like wanting to make sure I was okay. So I said to, to Allison, I said who's my wife, I said, hey, I need the computer. I want to type out an email. And I started typing, and it started coming out like gibberish. Uh, So I then gave the computer back, and I dictated uh, uh, an an email um, that I wanted her to send on my behalf. But I ended up um, having to kind of move my brain from the the left side of my head to the right side, which is not – Uh, usually found uh, to be successful when in brain tumor patients. So, um, and nobody really has an answer for why, um, when they did follow up FMRIs that on how I ended up ending up with my brain on the right hand side. But some of my theories as to, to why that happened is, uh, you know, perhaps I ended up, perhaps it had to do with, uh, with some of, the, some of the different things that I tried to do to retrain my mind. But it didn't fully end up moving until after I had been on the ketogenic diet um, and a very nutrient-dense diet. So, so I think that that nutrient density, it may actually be fundamentally important to, to allowing your brain to, to recover from traumatic injury
1: yeah there's there's a lot of research out there about how ketogenic diets and especially when you add the nutrient density um, brain cells can regenerate and brain, brain synapses can rewire themselves, plus the inflammation is markedly lower.
3: John, did they at John Hopkins whenever you were they were rescanning you, and the doctors saw that, wow, this guy's making a great recovery. He's able to use more of his brain, and we weren't expecting that did they attribute it to the ketogenic diet or did they comment on it?
0: No, I mean, they, I mean, they, you know, if you, uh, no, I mean, the doctors always are, you know, want to find like a cohort of people because otherwise it's like a study of one person. And it's not really statistically significant, Right. but you know, so you won't, you know, hear a doctor at Hopkins say, well, the ketogenic diet moved his brain, you know, from one side to the other. Because um, I was the only person, I think, that they were really studying in that study. Um, but, it, and it was more of an imaging study where it became kind of a, they had seen the, the outcome just because they were looking at something else. Um, but I, I do think that the, you know, the, their is an acceptance, especially especially at Hopkins, that 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 being on not just you know a healthful diet of like let's say a blend of good nutrients, but actually being in ketosis um, can can be very helpful. Um, you know, it's I I am actually I've met other people through having a brain tumor that that also independently found out about the ketogenic diet and started doing it. And I have a very good friend uh, who, who did so independently. And he had gone through two recurrences and, of a GBM, which is a very, very fatal type of uh, brain tumor, like very quickly fatal. And, and he ended up starting the ketogenic diet um, while he was on Avastin and, and ended up, um, the same effect, the, uh, the tumor, uh, has disappeared from his scans.
3: Oh, awesome.
1: Um, I mean,
3: can you talk a little bit about what you're doing now? I mean, you had to run into Peter somehow, so, um, and I'm guessing it's cycling, so can you talk a little bit about that, how you found out about the OFM program?
0: Well, sure, um. So, once I started getting used to being on the ketogenic diet, I always felt like exercise was an important, you know, part of being healthy. So, I started, um, you know, walking as I was going through radiation, and I started, uh, you know, I started running, um, you know, as, as I was kind of getting stronger um, with the treatment, and, and so on and so forth. Um, so as I, as I kind of continued doing that, it turned out that I started to become a a decent runner and I started to become, uh, I, when I got back on the bicycle, something really interesting happened. I remember having ridden with the, the university of Chicago guys kind of hanging off the back wheel on the, on the bicycle, like all the time during, uh, rides and my heart rate was like in the 170s. I was just really fully gassed at the end of every ride. But coming even without doing much cycling before riding with these guys again, I was you know sitting at like you know mid 140s uh, heart rate um in ketosis on the bicycle. And I thought, well, you know, I haven't done that much cycling. Um so how is it that this is happening? <laughs> so um, so I started, you know, doing more and more because I started to get curious about what my body in ketosis in a much more healthful state would be able to sustain. I was actually out at a running store. and when I was out at that running store, you know, I' obviously had something happen to me because I'm asymmetrically bald as a result of the radiation. And the guy at the running store was asking me, like, well, you know, what's up with the hairdo and, you know, and stuff. And, you know, I told him, oh, it's, you know, from, you know, uh, radiation and I do this diet and stuff like that. And he's like, well, there's this uh, company called Vespa that makes probably the only, like, energy type of product that that a person on a keto diet could do and i'm like really there's an energy product i don't have to just muscle it out you know entirely without energy and 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 so i took a look at the uh the vespa thing i was uh, actually somewhat uh skeptical that it would work because it's it's a simple product when you look at the label and you know so i tried it out and i talked to peter uh who, uh, w- it was a very interesting conversation from my perspective because, you know, ultimately you would, you, I, I really expected to get on the phone with the guy who's, you know, ultimately selling Vespa and, and hear you know, an hour and 45 minute discussion about how great Vespa is. And what I ended up really hearing was an hour and 55 minutes of how great the OFM diet is. And then, you know, five minutes of how, because of the fact that I'm doing this keto diet, Vespa could benefit me. And I, I actually really thought that was impressive. Um, and it made me really want to give the Vespa stuff a try. Because initially I was a little bit skeptical because there's a, a bit of honey in that. So Peter kind of had to talk me down to a certain extent about uh, having any carbohydrates at all. <laughs> or a, any, any sugar
1: at all.
3: Did you notice it was rocket fuel? Since you had already been keto, I'm sure you probably felt a nice bump.
1: Well, tell them about your ride, uh, that ride you took, that 108-mile ride out and back, John. That's a pretty good example of, of performance. And I think Naomi and Stephanie will really appreciate it because it's, it's kind of scary how just how fit you are.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so... When I took it, it I you know, I, I, I talked to Peter about what would be the right way to take it so uh, what we, what I did was I had some coffee and I took the 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 Vespa, you know waited a little bit for it to kind of kick in. so I just got on the I got on the bicycle, had a couple extra Vespas with me, and basically rode from uh, Hyde Park, uh, which is a, a kind of uh, a neighborhood on the south side of Chicago along the lake, and I rode all the way up to Lake Geneva, which was about 108 miles, and so, you know, I I start riding, and you know, I'm you know, going pretty darn fast at the beginning, for me at least, which was, you know, about 20-ish or so, and I keep on riding, you know, I grab a Vespa along the way, keep on going, keep on going, keep on going, eventually I get to lake geneva 108 miles away and i I take a look at the how long i stopped over the entirety of that trip and basically i had ridden continuously without stopping except to get some water Um, but it was uh you know 25 minutes of stopping time and and you know about a little bit under six hours of riding time (laughs) to get 108 miles which is Pretty good for me. I'm not wow. uh, that's a phenomenal cyclist. Good.
2: Well, but. I
3: would say that's pretty good for someone who had a death sentence, you know, not that long ago. And that's pretty darn good anyway. A well, miles. How many people do centuries and average 20 miles per hour? Not a ton. <laughs>
1: no, that's <laughs> right. Well, and the other, the other thing that a lot of uh, cyclists, especially the people who do centuries, can't quite figure out is you did that on just vespa and water correct
0: oh yeah no i that was it i mean i took i took a total of three Vespas. so one before i started one uh you know i think at about the two and a half hour mark and then one after that and when i got up there i just walked in and you know leaned my bike up against the wall and uh everyone was like expecting me to look like i had uh you, you know, was going to fall over. And I just sat down and started having a conversation with people. I felt, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't feel beat up. And, that's you know, awesome. I, so it, it was, um, what, what I think I've noticed is that it, it, you don't feel like you're working as hard while you, you have the Vespa kind of in your system and the, the recovery, um, when you stop, it, it seems like you feel good very very quickly uh, and you may not even feel bad at all i, I, I know that you guys on the phone are, are you know really really serious athletes but for I me don't
1: I, kn- would- <laughs> I
3: don't know if i'm a more serious athlete than you i am a i smell the roses athlete
1: i think you're a pretty serious athlete john because you know you're competing against something pretty significant that we don't have to compete against yeah, yeah, I would, right. I would say yep.
3: that you were sound pretty serious to me. People who are not serious athletes ride twenty miles, and then they call like, "Wow, I, I'm, <laughs> that's, one hundred eight miles just to see if you can do it." And and after the treatment, that's that's impressive.
1: And then you you rode home the next day on that on a different route. Was it?
0: Yeah. So I just, I took a different, you know, hundred, you know, it actually worked out to be about 108 miles again, but came back down from there back to Chicago. So one, you know, I really like cycling cause you just see so much and it's, it's fun to, I like going fast. So it's fun if you can go fast and feel good while doing it.
1: So John, I'm going to bump ahead here a little bit, but, um, you're an analyst with a technology company and you've been able to hold down a high level analyst job, um, pretty high pressure job. But then why don't you tell the girls your, your story about your little romance story with your wife and all, when you got the diagnosis and, and where you guys are now, because that's a pretty inspirational story. And I think the the girls would love to hear that.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So at the time when I had this seizure in the office, I was actually, uh, engaged, uh, and you know so it, it at first, we didn't really fully realize you know what a, a glioma was, so you know we just thought we had this a doctor's appointment, but after I realized that you know this is like going to be a life altering you know problem, i you know, talked to my to my wife and or well to my now wife, but at the time my fiance and i I said to her, i'm like, you know Allison, I don't know um." I'm not sure so much if this is uh you know really like good for you to to have to deal with for the rest of you know at least my life and possibly your life. Um, you know, maybe uh you should reconsider whether or not we get married so um allison uh you know it was like, oh no, no, we should I definitely want to get married and and uh and and I'm like, all right, well. I'm not going to take your, you know, I want to get married now because I'm like sitting in front of you. You really should have uh, a good opportunity to, to really reflect on what this will mean for your life. Um, so, and so, you, you know, Allison uh, the next day comes, you know, back to me and, you know, says, Hey, um, I, uh, I talked to, to, to my mom and, uh, you know, about the whole thing. And, you know, we were set to be married in June. And I, uh, basically we figured out how you and I could get married in 10 days. And she's like, I talked to your mom. And she said she'll figure out, like, how to get somebody there to marry us. And I'm like, okay. So <laughs> you're, you're in. <laughs> like, you're not just, like, saying you're in, but you're really in. So um, we ended up having a – uh uh, just a, a, a beautiful wedding, um, you know, 10 days later that uh, Allison's uh, mother put together, which was just amazing. And, and my mom, uh who had, who had recently changed churches, uh, you know, called up the pastor at, at that church who happened to be on, on vacation in Western Canada. Um, and he, he said, well, you know, I can, I can, shorten my trip a little bit and, and come back early and we met him actually the the night before getting married and uh he's he's been a staple in our lives ever since oh, uh a
3: sweet story
2: pete also tells me as well that you went against all odds and you now have a little bubba as well
0: yeah so um at the beginning of the podcast, you might have heard some sound in the background, but uh, that is my uh, one year old son. Uh, and we uh, one of the things that happens before you you have a brain resection is and then you go through chemo is that they want to capture sperm and all this other stuff. And when I was going through the sperm banking process, it was you know pretty challenging because they look at motility and all these other metrics. Uh, that I hope people don't ever have to, to deal with trying to, to conceive, you know, naturally and they can't do it because it's just stressful. But, um, ultimately my sperm was lazy sperm and, uh, that was before all the treatments. And we, uh, my, my wife, uh, you know, is very organized and she was, you know, talking to the insurance companies, you know, about wanting to have a baby and, and, you know, trying to figure out if they would, you know, pay for fertility related stuff so that, you know, we could, you know, get it done, so to speak. And the one of the uh, the insurance people was like, well, have you guys tried to have a baby? And my wife's like, well, no, we don't know that we can. So we, we went to the doctor and it was a. Uh, pretty funny because one of my, uh, it was a doctor in Chicago that we went to that follows me locally and the doctor pulls out, uh, some medical research, which was basically saying that I was far enough out from, from having, uh, uh, you know, chemo that it would be safe to try to conceive a baby naturally. So Allison was like, all right, well, I guess we have to try naturally now because we're able to, and etc. And, and let's face it it's not like that's a bad uh thing to try to do anyway. So um we uh you know we started trying to have a baby and, and instant like yeah. immediately um Allison was pregnant. It was really really shocking.
3: Oh great. Uh, that's awesome.
2: Yeah. That's defeating all odds, really. Like you couldn't even ask for anything better than getting the all clear and then being able to fall so naturally because IVF is such a hard journey to go through. Um, Yeah, and do you think that that was the paleo diet, the The um, ketogenic diet, sorry?
0: You know, I'm not – so what I think it – I've also read some of the Western A. Price Foundation information about nutrient-dense diets and what, you know, I found was that nutrient density and high fat is is culturally part of, you know, these kind of indigenous populations, ways that to have for people to be able to conceive children. And without us knowing it, uh, because Allison also kind of hopped on board with the keto diet, um, you know, she had basically been doing the high fat, um, you know, Nutrient laden diet like I was doing, so both of us had essentially primed ourselves unknowingly to to be able to have a, a very healthy child. That's wonderful. Um, so that's yes. what I, I really attribute attributed to um, you know a good blend of, of fats, um, along with you know being in you know ketosis and, and giving your body just a, a ton of nutrients. One thing that, you know, the, which kind of disappoints me sometimes when, you know, you go to, to talk to a doctor about the ketogenic diet is that bacon, you know, spam, uh, you know, just eggs generally are, are things that are advocated for by doctors to be on the ke- ketogenic diet. You know, it's really about a ratio of fat uh, to protein to carbs for for those doctors and I feel like in the discussion around the ketogenic diet that there also needs to be a discussion around the quality of the food that you're eating from yeah. the the beginning yeah. of when I started the diet I just was very suspicious of of the fact that like spam was going to do the body good <laughs> it seemed very <laughs> counterintuitive to me so in, in doing that, the keto diet, my my focus was also around like grass fed, um, organic foods, um, you know, non GMO products because I, I felt like if you're going to go through the effort of of trying to cut out sugar, you might as well do a little bit extra effort to put quality food into your diet.
2: Yeah, that's right.
3: John, did you ever look at anything also in regards to the chemical load in your environment? Did you look at in addition to eating clean food, like change your cleaning products and and that sort of thing?
0: Yeah, so I, I can't take credit for that one, but my wife uh started looking at all that and and she like literally went in the closet and like tossed everything and 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 ordered, you know, all the, you know, organic, you know, like non-toxic cleaning products. Um, I can't take credit for that one because it would, would, but my, my wife, uh, you know, she was, you know, let's look at this as well. And, and, and we also looked at air quality, um, in, in the house. So, um, I got a, uh, a very good HEPA filter system in the house from a company called Blue Air. And and that, you know, basically can filter the air, I think, about, I want to say it's like five or six times an hour within, you know, our bed-bathroom area, which I think is really critical. That's that's
3: great. John, do you have any concerns, or have you thought about electromagnetic energy and radiation from cell phones or or Wi-Fi or anything like that for like EMF? Because yeah, you're in I, that job,
2: John, aren't you? Like, tell us yeah. a little bit as well about what you're working in. I hear that your IQ is fairly quite high, and um, you have quite a, quite a hard job.
0: Yeah. Well, I, so I work in in a at a a global um, investment bank um and but i work on the technology side of of that and and the the technology even though it's it's not like a straight-up technology company is incredibly complex because uh the firm uh, that i work for we 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 clear uh, about 13 percent of the world's uh Futures uh, and derivatives trades. So, um, I used to manage the uh, the platform, actually that that uh, that is responsible for all the reporting to customers, et cetera. Um, so it's a, it's a, a very highly technical job, um, and it's really interesting to me that you bring up uh, the radio wave stuff because I think it's it's uh, it's a, a you know it's it's one it's there's so many things that you just can never prove um but you, you kind of look back on things and you think, wow that's a weird uh coincidence so when I was in um high school, I had uh kind of started up like a uh a web uh, hosting slash uh web design uh company uh, like late junior year and uh, senior year, and it, you know you need to be able to communicate with people, but you also have to go to high school. So uh, I had um, I, I had a cell phone at that time, and if you remember those like the Nokia
3: gigantic, yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, like the Nokia. now it wasn't the brick phone, thank oh, God. Oh
3: well, you're uh, younger than me. We had, yes. a, but it was an analog <laughs> large phone.
0: Yes, I, I I remember seeing those. One of my friends' parents had one. And that thing was like, uh, I think if your car was going to be jacked, that that could be used for self defense. Um, yes. Uh,
3: so yours was the generations past that.
0: Yes, but it was one of the uh, those kind of Nokia analog phones, and the uh, being that I'm left-handed, when I would have phone calls with people, I would typically hold the, you know the phone up to my left ear, and you know, it could be coincidence, but that's right around the area where the brain tumor uh, showed up. Um, you know, and, and there's, you know, a lot of people that say that, that, you know, the radio frequency stuff is safe. Um, and then, but yet, you know, when you look at, uh, at cell phones now, people start uh, listing out the amount of energy that the cell phone emits. Uh, as as kind of a metric that people look at, which was forced in Europe uh, first. And, you know, so what that tells me, just kind of looking at it, is that maybe these things aren't as safe as people want to think that they are. And people should be careful about the amount of exposure that they're getting to, to cell phone or microwave type of signals.
1: Yeah, John, uh, um, both Stephanie and I are also Weston Price members. And did you see that um, uh, article in one of the recent journals? Uh, and I know the um, uh, person who did that, they actually kept her name off the article because of their fear of reprisal. But did you see that thing on what it did to uh, blood cells? No, I didn't, actually. I'll send you the Hold link. On the oh.
3: new, is it in the new
1: it's not in the latest one. It's one or two behind. I'll okay. send you guys the link here, and we can put that in the show notes. Because
3: I can Hotter. see it in the new one. But, yeah, that's great. And there's yeah. a lot of uh, just talking here. My my cell phone's plugged into my computer right now, and I can't have my, my cell phone very close to the microphone because it makes uh, makes it buzz. So mm-hmm. it's just like... Those are simple things. You can't see that, but you know it's having an effect or else it, it wouldn't be doing that. So we don't know what effect it's having on our soft tissue.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, the cell phone thing is really a, a vexing problem. And it's, you know, it could be, it would be like one of those ethical cases. Like if somebody did actually know that that cell phones were dangerous it would be so hard to remove them from the daily existence of of the world. I mean, developing countries right. uh, don't have landline based networks, and 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 you know this is like a it, it's it's really fundamentally how people communicate today.
3: Right. I was just came from, back from Peru, and uh, we were out in the jungle, and on every corner they had they were selling cell phones because. It, you know cell phones and solar panels so you can charge it which is mm. amazing because you know that's way out and where they didn't have any any communi- ability to communicate before um, have you seen those discs that you can get that are supposed to uh, absorb radiation and emf signals that you can wear for women sometimes they make it into jewelry i don't know how well those work but i have friends who
0: wear them you know i i haven't um i haven't seen the 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 disc thing and i you know i've heard of products like that you know where you know perhaps you know they make some impact but I've, i've always been somewhat skeptical you know and i don't know the exact product but uh the, the somewhat skeptical that you, you could wear something around your wrist per se, and and that's going to somehow have an impact on what your brain is getting in terms of you know electromagnetic radiation. Um right. It's just you know I, I I feel like you know sometimes in the you know that people try to to really uh, profit off of you know a perceived issue and, and even and. They don't always, you know, put out a product that really helps people, but they certainly put out a product that helps them line their product their pockets.
3: <laughs> right. I I agree. <laughs> so, I actually I don't own one, but I have friends who do, and I always think I'm not sure how well that works and how well it's tested.
0: Yes. Yeah. But
3: apparently, I don't wonder enough to look at it any further.
0: Yeah, I haven't really done much research myself. I, I, I'm more just uh, being the skeptic.
2: So, John, um, I just want to ask you one more quick question. I just want to, can you tell us about your lifestyle um, and how your family have worked out um, what you've been doing for a while?
0: Sure. Um, so, my lifestyle kind of pre cancer and everything was uh, very, you know, work all the time. And my lifestyle now is, is, is you know, work, you know, a, a pretty intense, uh, you know, day, but then be done when you're done. Um, so, you know, I've kind of uh, put a lot more focus on, you know, family time and, and also a lot more focus on, you know, not trying to fit exercise in, but... Making sure that exercise is something that happens on a daily basis because I find that my productivity goes up dramatically when I when I do that. Um, and as, as from a family side of things, uh, you know, we've been we've been really really lucky. Uh, as when Allison was pregnant and and you know everyone you know guys in the office love to kind of kind of. Joke with the the guy who has a pregnant wife, uh, you know about you know how crazy it's going to be when the baby's born and how life's going to be you know totally disrupted and and, and you're never going to sleep ever again and and, mm-hmm. and we were uh, super super lucky, uh, um, but I think also it may have had to do with our, our son getting the you know good food, but he uh, started sleeping through the night. Uh, pretty much at like two, two and a half months, and he, even when he wasn't sleeping through the night, his waking up to to be fed and everything like that was extremely. Uh, uh, it, it was extremely regular. So you know when he was first born, you know, it was every three hours or so, and he was like three hours. Like you didn't need an alarm clock. You know, it was you could just walk over every three hours, and he was ready. And then, you know, as it kind of pushed out, he was sleeping through the night at uh, about four months old, which was you know amazing. That is Um,
2: incredible. Yeah, and
0: you know, food wise, um, we actually we we feed uh, Dennis—that's my son's uh, name—a pretty pretty much like a, a paleo. A style diet, so we don't we don't have uh, you know flour and and, and, and every, all of all those things in his diet. We have a very natural diet, and, and actually, I do a lot of the cooking, and, and my wife does the cooking as well um, for for what he eats. So we're not you know going to the Whole Foods or, or the Jewel Osco uh, to buy food. Uh, we're, we're making it at home for him. And I think that that really, really, really helps, uh, really, really has helped his development. It's it's funny, my, my wife and I go back and forth about, you know, I, I think it's just normal between a, in a, a, when you have a baby for a couple to have some concerns. And, you know, we go to the doctor, Dennis is, uh, you know, very, very long uh, because he's not standing yet, uh, but he's, you know, so skinny. So you know the doctors are concerned that he's you know off the uh, the weight chart in terms of being skinny, Uh, but but then again he's you know hitting all the benchmarks, uh, growing up, Uh, and but he's uh, doing it without being you know the the typical pudgy baby that that people. Kind of tickle of
1: love. I have the same thing in, here. Uh, our son Bruce is super tall and skinny and, and he doesn't fit into anything anymore because, you know, he's 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 too long for the stuff that his waist will fit around and um, he's, you know, everything else falls off him.
3: John, my yeah. kids were like that too and now they're 17 and 21 and they were always off the chart on length and they were like towards the bottom on weight. They'll, yeah. Um, and they've both been super healthy and neither of them, only one of them has been on antibiotics once ever. So, uh, they're just not used to seeing kids that are healthy. <laughs> Cause I had one time, my son had a little bit of sniffles and I, you know, I had never seen it before. And I think he was three or four and I took him in thinking, Oh my gosh, he's so sh- sick. And the doctor's like, why are you here? I was like, he's sick. She's like, you don't know sick. Go home. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, I hope that gives you a little comfort. Oh,
0: I'm I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm, after uh, this podcast comes out, I'm gonna play it for my wife. Uh, she'll she'll get a kick out of it because that's the uh, the going back and forth is you know I'm happy that he's uh, long and lanky because I think that, that kids are, are are pudgy these days due to a lot of the the, the advertising that is frankly unethical um, and the food that's pushed on them and and I'm, I'm I'm actually very happy that he's at the bottom of the chart because those charts are created you know by you know the average in, in our family too we've I, one thing that I didn't mention earlier but your comment about the health of your your child is is that when my my white blood cell counts and my lymphocyte counts uh, have been low uh, all throughout treatment in fact when i was being treated on for chemo my my they would have to delay each round of the chemo because it was uh my body needed time to basically recover the white blood cells and what you know, with the levels that I have, like when everybody falls ill at the office, you know, I would expect that I would be like the first man down, so to speak. Uh, cause you know, I still have some effects, um, in my immune system, but what I find really interesting is that I have not been sick since my surgery and, and getting on this diet, uh, which sounds, you know, preposterous because if you look at like a, a CBC panel on me or something like that, you 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 would never bet that I haven't been sick, but it's just the case. Um, so I think that there's kind of an X factor in terms of your immune system, et cetera, that that science hasn't really figured out yet uh, how to measure. Uh, that that you, you know, with the right diet. Um, the the right supplementation and, and and the right level of exercise that that your body kind of gets to
1: yeah John are you uh, uh, watching your vitamin D levels your twenty five hydroxy vitamin D and are you
0: yeah so it, it is one of the the tests that I watch um, the I think my last number was you know fifty um, which was kind of in the mid range um, I, I have added some uh, you know, vitamin D into the supplementation. Uh, and you know, it's, it's one of those things, which when I go to the lab, it's, it's a test that always gets pulled for me.
1: So why don't we, uh, take it to kind of a follow-up discussion here and discuss some of the ramifications of this. I mean, you've been able to, um, come back from a pretty major invasive surgery, radiation, and chemo, all the things that Uh, you know basically they're trying to kill the cancer before it kills you and not only um, have your life back but I mean be robust as an athlete father a child and 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 have it all where do you see this going and um, what are the ramifications for you in terms of, of what this means and not just personally but but the the bigger picture about cancer research and Stephanie I know you have some some thoughts about this.
3: Oh, yeah. I, I, uh, I worked for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society for a while. Um, I did my first endurance event with LLS, uh, with the team and training program in memory of my brother who died of melanoma when he was 21. And then I, I enjoyed the program so much that I decided to, uh, when they had an opening, apply for a job at LLS and the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And then um, after working there a couple years, I realized that, you know, the backside wasn't so as pretty as the front side (laughs) of it. But um, that they funded a lot of different drugs and not really funded um, nutrition research. And uh, they did, they do do patient aid, which I think is great. But um, it wasn't, they were working us really hard. Um, It was a very stressful job. And it was always about coming up with more and more, you know, dollars for research. And all the dollars were just, you know, pulling into more drug research. And, um, and they, they reveled in the idea that they, they thought about that they were coming up with a drug that they could stay on forever. So their goal wasn't even to cure cancer. The goal was to come up with a drug that, that could keep their cancer at bay, uh, for infinity for the rest of your life, which of course, you know, keeps the drug company making money, but it doesn't actually help the patient that much. I, I mean, if you're surviving, it definitely helps the patient, but I just thought there could have been a better way and they didn't treat their employees very well. So (laughs) that, um, that in itself I ended up leaving after two years and I, I, have friends who still do leukemia and lymphoma society fundraising events and I really have a hard time donating money to them I want to help them reach their goal because I think there's more to the pro you know the actual getting people doing sports and stuff but uh I think is beneficial but the um I'm leery about any charity that funds cancer research after working for a charity or any research that, I mean we've I've been associated with the um different uh you know toward cure and American diabetes and uh um the the MS multiple sclerosis I mean all those organizations they spend a lot of resources you're funding a lot of drug research instead of healthy body prevention research
1: John, what do you think about that?
0: yeah you know, I think the, the the cancer research ultimately ends up getting funded because the the drug companies and the uh, you know have have a huge interest in, in getting the next patent uh, so that they can sell a drug at, at, a, at a cost which burdens the population uh, you know dramatically um I, I couldn't agree more about the nutritional research and I think it's uh, sad that uh, that, uh, that 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 there's not more nutritional research done because it, and it, it frankly makes sense economically to have nutritional research because it's something which is is cheap um, and it and if you can if you can make a meaningful impact uh, by improving someone's health nutritionally that's that's uh it's like a no-brainer for me, at least. Uh, but it's uh, apparently uh, very difficult for government agencies, et cetera, to wrap their heads around that. Um, you know, I, I, I and, you know I think that with different you know I've started to work with the Livestrong organization, which is uh, somewhat ironic because you know they've had uh, a lot of bad press, especially around cycling, um, but uh, due to Lance. But one thing that I found to be really, really good about their their goals as, as a charity is it's around patient aid um, and and helping kind of navigate um, you know through having like a cancer diagnosis and finding the right doctors et cetera um, and more around that that soft area which a lot of times people kind of miss um, you know and I, I guess you know to come back a little bit on. Uh, you know, research for a second. You know, I'm always a, i am always i try to, I really do try to be a very half class, you know, full kind of guy. And I, I, I see a lot of the immune uh, based therapies as kind of the future from a, a technology perspective. Um, Within the cancer community, so it's 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 very interesting time that we have now, where where there's kind of a new modality that is not just a uh, agent orange kind of scorch the earth approach towards cancer, which is what I would describe chemo as. Um, but that that people are now trying to look at how the body works and try to to leverage that to fight cancer, and I think that that that's a really interesting direction. What makes me sad though is that I feel like. The different, you know, mega companies and pharmaceutical companies in the space all have different keys to, to ultimately succeeding in the fight against cancer. Um, you know, there's delivery, there's, uh, you know, the, the right gene expression, you know, that you need to target, et cetera. And you know, it's unfortunate that these companies um, have these small pieces of the overall solution um and they're they they're not uh, heavily financially incentivized to work together. And you know, I think to my background with computers, and I remember thinking when open source computing started that that was just crazy. How is anyone going to make a buck on open source computing? And uh, it, at the end of the day, I really hope that you know people have certainly made. Uh, money with open source computing, and they've done very, very well. And I hope that medicine evolves to be more patient-centric uh, and success-oriented, and they look at something like open source medicine. Yeah,
3: I agree, a hundred and ten percent, I think that that is a,
1: a good goal. Naomi, you want to talk a little bit about your work um, with cancer? Well,
2: I've been really fortunate um, over here in Australia. I've been part of the Tour de Cure family. And in saying that, um, we actually, as a team, we go through to schools and we educate them to be fit, be healthy and be happy. So then they can take that on to their parents as well. So looking at what they're eating, um, looking at being active, and being happy, you know, like being happy in life as well through um, just basically helping each other and doing all sorts of things for for each other. So um, I really enjoy that. I've raised probably um, approximately $40,000 so far throughout um, – through cancer. They have – they have funded eight successful cancer projects over here in Australia, but they also give it to the treatment and um, through the communities as well. So I just think that maybe Australia is a little bit um, ahead of America in that respect because they are open to to the diet being very much a cause of um, cancer, but also. The happy and healthy um, that we have to be in our lives to to fight cancer as well.
1: Yeah, well, the, the it's kind of interesting, John. I don't know if you're aware, but the, there's a, a movement called low carb down under. And it's really taken hold in Australia in a way that uh, the United States still has a ways to go. As much as um, ketogenic diets and low-carb and fat agitation are getting out there, uh, it's really kind of taken off in Australia.
0: I'll have to look yes. at that low-carb down under. That's interesting. I um, Yeah, I mean, I, I speak at... Um, my mom is actually a teacher, so I've gone and, and spoken at her school. And, I, you know, I think that... In, it, the, the diet and the exercise. The sooner that you can get people um, oriented in that direction, you know, the better off that that people are. I mean, it's it's just uh, you know to, to catch kids early when you can make such a huge inflection in their life by doing small things uh, is, is is super important. And and that's actually one of the I didn't know too much about. Uh, you know, strong a number of years ago, um, but I always thought their name resonated well with you know trying to do your best at things. And when I've talked to to people about the the organization and 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 about you know athletics and about you know doing the right things on a daily basis, and when you don't, getting back on the horse and, and moving on again, I think that's uh, that that's been you know a really good message, especially for kids.
2: Mm, yes.
1: Okay, well, we've got a. You're really the kind of the um, uh, embody the whole live strong uh, persona. So we'll have to close it up here, Um, John. Thanks very much for sharing your story with us. I'm I'm sure uh, Naomi and Stephanie are are inspired uh, based on their stories and their histories, and um, hopefully we can get other people to realize that, um, you know, getting the sugar out of this out of the diet as much as possible and then just using it strategically is probably a good thing for a number of reasons
3: yeah i think i think your information is is very useful for all kinds of folks and it it would be great to have more patients more cancer survivors like you who thrive after after you change your diet so i think it's that's an inspiration for for everyone
0: well thank you guys i i uh I see what you guys are doing as well, and it's uh, it's frankly incredible. At some point, uh, uh, maybe I'll give uh, an ultra marathon or something a, a, a chance.